Golf's no different from hockey. Requires talent, self-discipline. Golf requires goofy pants and a fat ass. You should talk to my neighbor, the accountant, probably a great golfer, huge ass. How do you measure yourself with other golfers? By height. It's a very, very special honor. I'm Paula Creamer, and you're listening. Well, we're waiting. Hi, this is Martin Cove, a.k.a. John Kreese from Cobra Kai. And you're listening to Quiet, Please. Let the word go out from here across the land. Let Daddy Noonan uh, approve. Hiya, boys. Nice day for golf, eh? Quiet, please. Oh, you got secrets, eh? Hey, this is Shooter McGavin. You're listening to the... Hey, you guys. Hey, we're trying to have a podcast over here. (laughs) Welcome, folks, to another episode of Quiet, Please, the Golf Podcast. And we have got a great panel because... It's Ryder Cup, Ryder Cup recap week. Uh, Alan DePew, I was on assignment last week. Missed a great one, Andy. But uh, hi, Dorn. With uh, almost called you Andy Bonus from another time in my uh, golfing career, I had a uh, Andy Bonus there. For, but uh, <laughs> Andy, hi, Dorn, joining us once again. You guys had a great show last week. Uh, yeah, we had we had a couple legends of the LPGA Tour on last week, and legends of the game without question. Uh, also joining us, you were on assignment as well, and, and I believe you're sitting in P- at State College, PA, right now. So you suddenly better have become a uh, Penn State uh, grad. Is Christian Nazamus pretty a pod- podcaster in golf? And literally, folks, dialing in as I hit record, <laughs> Bourbon Bob Baldessari joining us once again. Hello, Bobby. Hey, I are feel like John Wood, doing... I'm out here on the golf course. I was, was going to say, are you literally doing a podcast from sitting in a golf cart? Is there no more? Is, that's classic. He's on I'm his lit- easy go. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm on his easy go. I'm literally coming down the 10th hole at the Woodford Club. We're getting ready for the LPGA Legends event tomorrow. We've got nine LPGA Legends Hall of Famers. Sounds sounds like Bob's been drinking the bourbon. I was going to say Bob was <laughs> Bob's been drinking the bourbon, and I yeah. haven't got to our special guest rounding out the the uh, the panel tonight. I mean, if there's anybody that was boots on the ground, it's it's John Wood. Welcome to Quiet, please. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. This will be fun. Uh, picked a good week to come on with what happened last week. What did did anything go on? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I would, I would, before we even get started, I'd love to say that, you know, John, John's background was, was on the PGA tour. You know, he caddied for Matt Kuchar, Hunter Mayan, Kevin Sutherland and others. He was in the Olympics um, for Kuchar's bronze medal. Um, and I think a few years ago when NBC decided to put bones on um, as an on-course reporter, I think that really changed the dynamic of of watching television golf. And I think that was such a valuable proposition that they did. And now having John on, um, it, I think it's just great insight um, to have you out there giving, you know, through your eyes what goes on on the PGA Tour. No, I appreciate that. You know, it was all Tommy Roy's idea from the NBC producer. He just... Uh... I think he would hurt, hear me and Bones while we were caddying and the discussions we would have with our players. And I think he kind of got tuned into there's a lot more there than just 152 nine iron. Yeah. Um, yeah and that's uh, kind of what I've tried to do is, 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 you know, really get across what they're really the, the kernel of the shot is and what they're trying to get to um, the discussions. And um because being out there so long, you notice body language, you notice a lot of things from the guys that, that, really doesn't come through on tv so um i just try and get as deep as i can in the, in the amount of time that i have I, awesome. andy i gotta interject christian's the only one here that get at 152 nine iron anymore <laughs> uh, speak, speak for yourself there mr 60 uh, shoulder turn i got i got a big shoulder turn without it's a pitching wedge now alan it's pitching yeah wedge now. most guys it's a pitching wedge exactly but uh, i can also hit an eight iron at 150 if i need to so all right, John, we all have a ton of questions. I'm going to come out. I, I want to jump in first because I'm going to come out from a different angle. I just saw some early returns on the TV ratings. And it, ratings were down this year uh, compared to the last time overseas in France. And people people have even chimed in on Twitter about how it's uh, 
oh, that's the tiger effect, which is valid, I got to believe. Do you think it's because the, maybe a little bit earlier start? Do you think it was because of Europe taking that big lead out of the gate? I mean, got any, got any I mean, yeah, insight I, out of to me, it would be a combination of things. One, obviously, Tiger. Tiger brings in the non-golf fans, which, moved, you know. He is the no, needle. <laughs> yeah, nobody else brings in those those people who aren't normally interested in golf. Um, obviously, the time it was awful. But I think had the Americans come out and had been 3-1 in the first session, they, they're up, or 2-2 even, I think it totally changes the week. Because once that happened... And the fact that they won the afternoon session as well, I think people kind of probably tuned out a lot thinking there's no way, there's no chance. Um, and it was going to lack the the buzz that we haven't had at a Ryder Cup for a while on a Sunday. We've had a lot of, lot of blowouts lately. So I think it's probably a combination of those those things. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. I mean, when I woke up in the morning and I saw that we were down 4 nothing early, I thought for sure, I was like, does this team have it? And they're like in them to fight back. Right. And I think that was the biggest question mark with this team to begin with was like, you know, one, was it the right team? A lot of people gave Zach Johnson a lot of crap for a few of the picks that he had. Um, I thought watching it. Yes. However, I just wish that um, we got an extra point or two for that matter. Um, you know, in the four balls, because like you said, that would have made a huge difference. I think tremendously. In the four yeah, balls, you're absolutely, you're absolutely four, right. Christian, in the, in the alternate shot or in the four balls? In the foursomes. And yeah. and the foursomes, yeah, yeah, got it. Yeah, I think you both formats, both formats. The, the you know, um, Americans had some issues closing out matches. They they were one up on quite a few coming to eighteen, and they would lose eighteen, and that's a huge half point, you know. Um, and those add up quickly. So uh, had had the Americans done one of two things: had the Saturday team shown up on Friday, or if they'd closed out those matches that they you know went to tie on eighteen. And I think it's a different week. So tell us a little bit about the golf course, because, you know, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, Luke Donald wanted it set up so that, you know, there's not a lot of wedge shots and that there is a lot of mid irons and longer approach shots into the greens. And um, do you put a whole lot of uh, credence into that theory and, and that setup and how it favored the Europeans? Um. Yes and no. I think it it did just statistically. Um, Eduardo Molinari was their stats guy. That's his new business now. He does stats. Um, incredible guy. And um, that's what the stats were saying, that Americans were much better at wedges. Um, and so Luke tried to design a course that didn't have a lot of wedges. And, and he did. He did a great job of it. There were a lot of, um, you know, it seems like five to seven irons and reachable par fives and drivable par fours. There weren't a lot of, you know, holes where you just get a hit a wedge in. So uh, yeah. if that was his goal, he, he did it. He did a good job. Um, that being said, I think uh, the big, the big takeaway for me is five weeks off for the Americans. Most of the Americans, yeah. I think that was it. I mean, I think that was it. I think the Saturday team was ready to fight. They fought in singles. Uh, um, they fought on Saturday. I just don't think they were quite ready to go on Friday. And I can only attribute that to, to five weeks off for a lot of the guys. I, I definitely agree, John. Yeah, that, that was my big takeaway that they're just any, anybody's going to play that first round. You're a little rusty. You start to feel better. Then in the back against the wall. So when they came out that last day and they always play well on singles, uh, you know, I think we, we really want to ask you your take also on, the Ricky Fowler, given the putt there, um, games known as gentlemanly. Ricky's a really nice guy, but in that circumstance, what's your take? I was shocked. I mean, Brad Faxon said it live as it was going on. No way is that going to be good. And then he picked up the coin. So I think yeah. everybody was shocked. Um, Ricky is, is one of the greatest guys in the world. Um, I haven't talked to him. Uh, I think my first thought was, I wonder if he knew what the, if he was mistaken, what the situation was. That was my first thought when I saw it, but um, it didn't seem like he was confused. It, it seemed like he just kind of decided this was, he was going to give this one. And then um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't think most people would have given that putt. Other than the television people, what was there any other talk amongst even the team that, you know, Ricky, what are you doing? 
I see. We didn't, I, I didn't have any access to the team after the round. Um, it was, you know, such chaos on 18, as you guys saw, and they just, they just go right into the team room. So, um, you know, in the, in the coming weeks, I'll probably talk to some of the caddies and say, you know, what was the fight thinking and, you know, what else and was going on in the team room and, and, and all that. So, um, I'm sure there was some head scratching at the fact that he gave that putt, but, um, nothing you can do about it now. Well, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to bounce all over the, from Friday to Saturday to Sunday, but you, you touched on caddies. So we got to ask the question. <laughs> the, per, the perfect <laughs> of segue. Of course. <laughs> yeah. That was, you can tell you're in TV because that was a great segue, John. Thank you. <laughs> what happened with the. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was right there. I was on the back of the green and you know, the crowds were, uh, very partisan, which they should be. Um, but it got personal with Patrick out there all day. It was a very ugly day for him in terms of what people were saying to him, um, uh, non-golf related stuff. And, um, he handled it extremely well. He really didn't react all day. He just, you know, stayed laser focused, played great golf, birdie the last three. And when that happened, the, the entire American team was on the front of the green so they took their hats off in tribute to him because he hasn't been wearing a hat and, and you know, started whipping it around, which the crowd had been doing to Patrick all day long. I mean, it was just what they decided to, to key in on on Patrick. Um, Joe, from my when I saw it, I didn't think Joe was that close to Rory's line. He was he wasn't moving, but Rory was looking at it kind of from the side. He was his, about 20 feet away. And when Rory came around and, and Joe was right there, I just think it was a misunderstanding because I don't think Joe went into Rory. Uh, Rory turned around from reading it from the side and Joe was just there. And once that happened, um, it maybe looked to, to feel, I know it felt to Rory like he was going in on him and, and not leaving his line when he, when he asked him to. Um, and then Shane Lowry got involved from the back of the green, started yelling at Joe, Joe yelled back. Um, I think it was, you know, honestly a big misunderstanding. Cause I think Joe was mostly facing his teammates, trying to, to whip his hat and, and kind of join them in their celebration. And, and Rory felt he was too close. And that tournament is so emotional. It is from Honestly, from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday practice rounds, everything is emotional about that week. And in such a big moment, everything's amped up. So I'm sure Rory's adrenaline was going 90 miles an hour, as was Joe's. Um, and it, it, you know, it happened. I wish it hadn't. But um, my understanding is they've texted. I don't think they've talked, but um, uh, they're both good guys. Um, and I think they both like each other genuinely. It was just the situation got out of control and, um, it was, it was unfortunate, uh, but it did add, did add a little fun to the Ryder cup. I will say at that point, see, here's a, here's a, here's a cue. When, when Andy starts leaning in, he wants to make a point, but I'm going to interrupt <laughs> real quick here. Cause I got to, what did Shane actually say? And the other thing is I saw today on Twitter, a panned out version of the end of that, where, Rory and Joe have the conversation. There's, you can see there's a continued dialogue. And then Joe, obviously, you see him wave his hand. But when you pan that camera shot out, you see he's more waving his hand at, it was either Rory's caddy or one of the European caddies who had said something to him also. So, yeah. Yeah, he was. I know he was. He was. I, I, I think Harry Diamond, Rory's caddy, just asked him, you know, Joe, move back. That's out of, you know, you're too close. And that's Joe was doing that to him, uh, not Rory. Um, but, you know, I think if Joe could do it over with, uh, I think he would he would still, you know, wave the hat, but maybe not not get where he was. I just think the emotions were were off the charts right there. And as Joe said to, you know, Shane Lowry, I think, just yelled at him, get out of the way. Um, and and Joe basically said, hey, we're getting our butts kicked here. I'm going to celebrate the fact that we've done one thing good. <laughs> uh, so it, it's just, uh, I think by the next time those two see each other, I think they'll be fine, really. Yeah, the 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 one thing that I kind of stuck out to me in that whole exchange was, you know, and I I saw what, what you said, John, where, you know, Joe was kind of celebrating a little bit, and I think he got 
in Rory's way as Rory walked back around to to get behind his putt. But then once they said something, it looks like Joe took a couple steps toward Rory again. And to me, that's where it looked a little odd. Yeah, no, I don't I don't doubt that. And I I think I think he was moving towards Harry because Harry was talking to him as well. But, you know, that's no excuse. I um I just I haven't I talked to Joe right after it happened and I haven't talked to him since then. So um, like I said, tensions are run were extremely high. It was a huge emotional moment. And uh, I think they would rather do it over if they could, you know. I'm sure. I I agree completely. And I'm more I'm more curious to see your thoughts on the whole Cantlay situation because I know that he was in the news a lot this week as well regarding just his like why he's not wearing a hat, that kind of stuff. I don't know if you're allowed to touch on it or not, but that's just my I mean, because I, I have my thoughts on it personally, but I'm just like I'm just kind of curious to see what you think of it. Yeah, I mean it's all rumors. We don't know for sure. Yes. Um right. Um I know. I know he was getting married. He got married on Monday mm-hmm. and he didn't want that tan line for the wedding pictures. <laughs> I mean, that was one thing that was going around, which makes perfect sense to me. Um, but there's always, there was also the rumor about, you know, money, the money issue coming up. Um, and I, I have no idea. Uh, honestly, uh, I saw what uh, Xander's dad said um, about, you know, the players trying to have some leverage in this event. Um, I don't know. I haven't spoken with any of them about it. Um, I'm sure uh, if that did happen, I'm sure they'll expand on it, you know, you know, soon. Um, but for it to happen during the week, obviously it's very unfortunate that, that, that tournament takes a lot of energy and to, to let energy go away to something like that, I think was, was, uh, pretty wasteful. No, I agree. Cause I, I genuinely think it is the best like tournament to watch period. Like yeah. I, I will put that over any major I would put it over our own United States Open. Like any any tournament period, the Ryder Cup is the best hands down tournament to watch. Um, it's the it's the best everything. Yeah. It's the best to commentate. It's the best to caddy. Um, that was like Presidents Cups are fun, but Ryder Cups you just it killed you if you weren't in that room on the team. It just you know after you've done one knowing what the week is like, it kills you not to be there for another one. So it is, it's the best tournament in golf. It's the most passionate, most emotional. Uh, um, it brings out some incredible golf in people. And um, I, I'm the same. I, it's, it's the, it, I'm, I'm totally with you. It's better than anything else. Yeah. And John, uh, yeah, I used to work at the PGA headquarters and I had the all access badge. So I went from one extreme to the other. It was, <laughs> it, it's a, uh, you know, I feel like some of the unwashed now just walking around, but, um, I wanted to ask you about the situation with Max Homa, and uh, forgive me, I'm blanking on his caddy, but that situation in that cauldron on the 18th hole, and and from what I heard from Max was his caddy saying, "Let's let's make take an unplayable lie," and to think clearly in that situation, as, as a player relying on you to try to think clearly because they're so wound up. Um, I thought that was a really really great um, scenario that played out. Oh, I was, it was incredible. I mean, there's good caddying and there's great caddying. That was great caddying to think of that option Um, because the ball, when I saw the ball, my immediate thought was, this is, this is missable. I mean, even if you were just trying to chip it into the bunker or chip it to the front of the green, there's no way he could have gone at the hole because it would have come out so hot just to get it out of that lie. It would have gone in the water. Um, so while they're going through that and Max is kind of taking stances here and there and trying to decide what to do, I think Joe Griner, um, he, yeah, right. yeah, Joe Griner, just a good player, great caddy, great guy. Um, he was, um, we're able as caddies. I think a good caddy is able to stay unemotional about the shot. Players have feels. We don't have any feels. It's all, it's all data driven or here's what we see. Um, and when he was thinking, when they started talking about chipping it out or just knocking it down into the bunker, I think that's when the light went on to him and he looked right behind there. There was a fairly bare spot. And he said, you know, why would we try even try that when we can be guaranteed a pitch shot from here? And I think that's when, when Max immediately light went on for him as well. Uh, but to come up with that decision, to talk your man into it, um, it was one of the best caddy calls in a pressure situation I've ever seen. Well, that- Strong prayer. So that leads into uh, leads into what something you touched on. And you just mentioned it again. 
put it into words for i mean you've, you've already highlighted it for the for our listeners for someone who's not been there bobby is you know mr all access back in his his days um what's it like to be in that pressure cooker i mean what's it like to have 20,000 fans giving you an ole on the first tee box or i mean it's like nothing it's like a sec football game that you're playing golf at i mean that's really what it feels like it's a um it's the only tournament i was ever nervous on a tuesday uh because the every hole is lined five deep on a tuesday wednesday thursday all the practice rounds but the special thing about the week and i think this is what makes it so special is week in week out it's you and your player and that's it i mean you root for your buddies here and there if they're in contention but it's just such a, a lonely experience, a solo experience. But, you know, once a year, either President's Cup or Ryder Cup, you get to really get inside your peers' heads, both the caddies, the players. How do they prepare? What do they think of this whole? Um, you get to know them much better as people because you spend every moment together as a team. You know, you're eating every meal together. Um, and if there's an, any outings, you're walking the courses together. Um and I think just that being on a team and playing for something else and somebody else is just such a special feeling. Um, one of one of the most unforgettable, probably the most unforgettable moment of my career uh, was being out with Hunter when we were out last against Graham McDowell and the matches completely came down to that one match. Um, we were two down. I think Hunter birdied 15, um, you know, and then hit the the horrible chip on, on, on 17 which, you know, it happened. Um, that being said, if I could change the outcome, I would, but I wouldn't have changed that experience for anything. At one point, you know, with about five holes to go, every single player, every person on the property, everybody's with that group. And, um, you know, you try and stay in your own little bubble, which we were, I think we were able to do for the most part. But um, the experience, I wouldn't trade that experience for every, for anything. At one point I thought, how many people get to caddy with the Ryder cup on the line? You know, I mean, it's, it was pretty special. Um, and even though, you know, Hunter ended up losing that match and we lost the Ryder cup, it was, um, it's just, it's, I can't, I can't explain what those weeks mean meant to me and mean to most people. So two part question for you, the, uh, how many different Ryder cups did you caddy in? Uh, uh seven, seven. Wow. Seven. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, two wins with uh, Hunter at uh, at um, Valhalla and with Cooch at Hazeltine. Wow. And I worked for Chris Riley um, and Mark Kalkovecchia as well at different Ryder Cups. So, so second part of the question is, after being, you know, on the bag during Ryder Cups and then now being inside the ropes reporting, has your view of the event changed? Has it heightened i mean give give me a little little insight of of uh that dynamic yeah it hasn't changed my my thoughts on the event it's still um the biggest the biggest thing in golf i mean guys want them in majors obviously but in terms of what it feels like what the pressure's like um it's like every every hole is the 18th hole at a major that's what it feels like um and like I said, the emotions you get to share with other people, I think make what, what makes it so special. So no, doing what I do now, um, that's the one week I truly miss caddying, uh, because to be in, in there, um, uh, it's something else. I think everybody raises their level a little bit, um, or tries to at least. And, um, but yeah, it hasn't changed at all in my mind as a commentator. I still know it's the biggest thing that in golf, most likely, and more people love to watch the Ryder Cup than, than anything else. So um, it's still, you know, my my favorite event, bar none, to to do, you know, caddying or announcing for. Yeah. So how how different when you were with Hunter, right? How different was he Ryder Cup week as opposed to a major, as opposed to like just a normal event? Yeah, like, how, like great, what's his mindset as far great, as like great question, Christian. Yeah, like, I'm just curious now. I know he's probably prepared more for a Ryder Cup, but I'm just curious. It's it's a great question because um, I'll tell you right now the two wins that we had, uh, well, Cooch at uh, Hazeltine and and uh, Hunter at Valhalla, um, the preparation is a little bit captain dependent. Um, 
Zinger came in and Davis in 2016 came in on, we had a team meeting Monday night, all the players and caddies only. And Zinger said, here is what we're doing. These are the three guys you're going to play with. That's it. You So not having to learn 12 guys and 12 golf balls. And I mean, there's not that many different um, makes a huge difference because all of a sudden you go, okay, we got three practice rounds, whether we play 18 or nine, uh, we can hit Justin Leonard's ball, we can hit Phil's ball, and we can hit Anthony Kim's ball because those are the only three guys we we're going to play with. So to learn those um, and have it in our head that that's who we might play with what made it so easy to prepare. Um, I think guys used to over-prepare for Ryder Cups um, in terms of the week of. Um, they'd get to Friday and have that – they'd had an extra day on Thursday, and it was just like – 18 holes, 18 holes, 18 holes, 18. Nobody does that anymore. Usually both teams do 18 the first day they're there and then nine and nine. Um, it is, um, it's such a, uh, a week that takes so much energy that as a caddy, I was always wary or, or very mindful of what Hunter was doing or what Cooch was doing and saying, Hey, let's get out of here. You're going to play 36 tomorrow. And, you know, I'd rather have you fresh, then, you know, having to stay here three more hours to find a, a swing key, you know, you're playing good enough. Let's be fresh tomorrow and go get them. So, yeah. And, and it's kind of fun playing practice rounds and those things um, week in, week out. They aren't very fun, but that, you, you know, you get little games going with your teammates and uh, they are fun. So it, it takes some discipline to not be exhausted come Friday morning. And John, yeah, you, yeah. You talked about the special nature of the team, the Ryder Cup. It is every two years, so it's like sort of that Super Bowl feeling. Do you think there could or should be more team competitions even one other time during the year? It used to be – I grew up watching the, the uh, J.C. Penny Team Classic. Mm. I thought that was pretty cool, and then that went away. But, you know, the idea of uh, on the PGA Tour, one event – I know the match play I think is going away. It's gone, gone away, but – Something team event because the guys really do seem to like that. Yeah, you know, I think that was one of the reasons they started the President's Cup as kind of a obviously when it started, the international squad was unbelievable with Norman and VJ and Ernie Els all in their prime. Um, and uh, so I think that the fact that the Americans do play on a team every year, whereas the Europeans every other year and the internationals every other year, um, it can, um, It can it can do one of two things. One, it can get you used to the team atmosphere in the Presidents Cup, or it can tire you out of the of the team event. You don't want to play one every year. Uh, playing it's not the problem. The problem is making the team. There is so much pressure on making a team, and you want to be on the team so bad it gets in your head. Um, and whether it's Presidents Cup or Ryder Cup, you want to be on those teams. Um, and the fact that I'm not making excuses, but I think the fact that the Americans have to pressure every year to make a team, um, it can get tough. Um, whereas the Europeans and, and the internationals every other year, they've got to, you know, bow up and, and have really good years to make the team. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't add another team event. We got the Grant Thornton coming back, which is the mix going to be like the JC Penny mixed team event. Um, right. I'm not exactly sure what that format is yet. I'm, I'm devastated the match play is going away because that to me is one of the funnest weeks of the year. Um, I'm hoping somebody decides to to pick up that format again because I think it's fantastic. Um, but um, you know, I don't know. I I don't know. I, I'm bummed that's going away. And um, but that that would be my take on the whole situation. Hey John, you touched on you know the the U.S. being flat. I think we all recognize that, and and some of the other components. Let's talk about the positive side. Luke Donald did an amazing job, I think, in orchestrating, running his team, managing his team. And I'll, I'll point to one thing specific, which is uh, Matty Fitz. Mm. And, and putting him out in four ball as opposed to foursomes right out of the gate where he could just free swing, and especially pairing him with Rory, is that – I mean, you've been you, you've been a caddy, you've been on the bag. I mean, foursomes is hard, man. I mean, it's just it's tough. It is because it's so what, hard to get into a rhythm. Putting um, the rookies out in the four ball seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, just to to 
to get them into the tournament in the situation, um, play their own ball, only their own ball, play golf like they normally play, um, I think is a great way to, to send rookies in. Alternate shot is such a specialist. Um, it's such a specialized skill um, because you'll go five or six holes without hitting a putt. You'll go five or six holes because of the makeup of the course without hitting a driver on a hole. You know, you hit one three hours ago. Now all of a sudden you've got to hit one more because you didn't, all the other holes you teed off on weren't driver holes. Um, it, it's, um, it's a tough format. It's a really tough format. Not only that, but um, you know, there's, a, there's kind of a rule in team golf, no apologies, you know, because you don't want to feel like you're letting your teammate down. He knows you're trying as hard as you can. Um, and if you're putting it in bad spots, you just don't want, you know, you don't, you just play as hard as you can and, and you can't apologize for anything, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it is a hard format to find a good partner. No question about it. And I'm not, obviously wasn't suggesting Fitzy is uh, a rookie, but I mean, he's, he has certainly struggled. Oh, and five. I mean, that I think I was one of my chiefs of the week. I thought if he lost his first match, I think they would have been, um, in some trouble because it just builds and builds and builds, you know, at one Ryder cup, not to mention, you know, this being his third and he hadn't even gotten a half point yet. Um, but what, w- during a Ryder cup, if you are out in a match and even if you tie the match, you want to win it, obviously, but it's a tremendous relief beat going, okay, I, I put something on the board for us, you know? Um, and if you don't win your first match, it builds and builds and builds going, oh my God, I'm 0-2 now. Oh my God. And the pressure gets immense because you just want to contribute. Um, so yeah, him him going out in in four balls and playing great, obviously with Rory, I, was a huge key for them. So what are your thoughts? Oh, go ahead, Andy. <clears throat> okay. Um, we talked about the kind of layoff before, you know, 30 days and for the U.S. team anyway. And one of the hardest things about golf is that every day is different, right? And and even players at that level go through spurts of good play and spurts of play where they're struggling a little bit. And, you know, where somebody was with their game 30 days ago isn't necessarily where they're going to be 30 days from now, right? It's a long time. It's a long time. And I, I my question is, as the week develops – you know, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's got to be a lot of, a lot of talk and a lot of discussion amongst the captains and co-captains, assistant captains as to who's in good form. Right. Cause I know there's a lot of talk that Brian Harmon was really, really looking good leading up to the, to the matches. And, and uh, you just wonder how poorly Rory or not Rory, how poorly Jordan played, you know, it, it it's it just seems like that plays a big role in what happens come Friday. Yeah, I I completely agree. The Europeans were ready to go, um, and I, I didn't find this out until Zinger brought it up on the air. But um, all their matches in the practice rounds, they were playing two man three hole matches to yeah. the immediacy of getting up in a match. So just three, you only have three holes, gotta win them. Um, I think sometimes in match play, you just get started and say, okay, here we go. Um, I hope I win the first poll, but it's not necessary. Um, but I think that sense of urgency was, was huge for them. And yeah, I think hindsight's twenty twenty. I think if Zach had to do it over again, the one thing he would change is tell his whole team, maybe not Jordan. Cause he was having a baby. I mean, his wife's having a baby. So you understand that, but I think I, I looking back, I think Zach would have told the whole team you're all playing Napa two weeks before the event, like Justin Thomas played it uh, because he kind of had to, he hadn't played the playoffs even. um, And he played well there, but I think that layoff um, it took some, you can play practice rounds, but it's not the same. And, and I think Thursday they had a lot of rust to knock off or Friday. I mean, they had some rust to knock off and um, it cost them to get behind like that. It was, was it. And um uh, yeah, I think if Zach could do one thing different, I think that would be it. So just say, guys, we're all going to play Napa. We're going to be paired together. Maybe even we're going to stay together. We're going to get one big house and and um, just kind of get started that way. But um, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. He trusted his guys, and and I'm sure the guys worked and practiced and prepared. But there's something about playing in tournaments when it really counts, when it really matters. It's just a little different. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I even like that moving forward. I actually like that idea. Even going overseas for that matter, playing in a tournament on the European tour. Yeah. Right. Get acclimated to the to the time change for that matter. Um, but I, I I I when I look at this team, I don't think any of them had necessarily their best stuff per se. But mm-hmm. I will say that Max Homa I thought was our Captain America this year. Oh, by MVP. Far. Yeah, by MVP. Far. Yeah, yep. not even Which close. So um, he, he yeah, amazing. It's so I mean, there's there's two ways as a rookie. Obviously, playing as a rookie at home is fun. It's it's obviously you, you get amped up, um, but the crowd's for you. To play as a rookie on the road is so hard because you're experiencing things you've never experienced before. They're booing you. They are, mm-hmm. you know, upset when you hit a good shot. They cheer when you hit a bad shot. And Max was just, I mean, every part of his game. I think those two matches he won with Brian Harmon. Brian Harmon didn't say one thing about himself. He just said, my partner has been a pleasure watching Max play golf this week. He's just, he's been on fire. And um, I think he was definitely the best player by far, the best player on the American team. So, uh, and, the, and, and, the he played Na- for- and he played Napa. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, fin- go ahead. no I was going to say, you could make the argument that he and Justin Thomas probably played the best on the team. Uh, Justin's record might not show that, but he, you know, had a couple losses with Jordan when Jordan didn't play very well. Um, or or but, play know, at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you can make the argument, I think, very easily that the two guys who played Napa were the two best players on the team. Yeah, I, I actually agree, because I was I was very adamant, as these three guys know, um, that I definitely thought JT should not have been on that team. And I really don't think Sam Burns should have been on that team. But JT did prove me wrong. He did play very well. Um but I guess my question, uh, my final question was um, kind of like in the locker room, right? Up or down. What's that? What's that message really like from Zach? Like, what do you think his message was to them? Right. After being down early and, in in, you know, the uh, on the first day, never really, honestly, never leading at all. Is his message right. the same, do you think, throughout the week? Or do you think it would be slightly different? Um. It was interesting, uh, just as, as a parallel, the the team in uh, Melbourne for Tigers team. I mean, Friday afternoon, it looked like we were going to be down 8-2 or 9-1 mm-hmm. even. That was possible. And then JT made that putt on 18 and Cantlay made the putt on 18 in their matches to get the full points. But it was still 7-3. Um, and Tiger didn't change at all. He just, you know, he kept saying, look, there's... I don't, there's more points available in a president's cup, but I think Zach probably emphasized guys. There's 28 points available this week. And we just played four of them. There are 24 points still out there. We are not out of this by any means. Um, and I don't think he probably changed up his, his pairings um, because that it's so analytical now. And, and, and they, or uh, they, they pick partners for partners. Um, it used to be, more fly by the seat of your pants. Hey, you won in the morning, you're going in the afternoon, you know, um, now it's all planned out from the get go. And, um, you know, on paper, it's right. Um, I think maybe we've gotten a little too in love with statistics and, and, um, I like, I like a little, you know, I got a hunch about these two, uh, I'm sending them out. Um, so yeah, I, I think maybe we could back off the statistics a touch and and go with more a little more feel hey john you know what at my golf club i'll walk through the clubhouse grill members usually looking at tv and they'll go hey bob what do you think they're talking about meaning the player and caddy so i give him my take but just take us in the sort of in that little uh sequence when and you could pick maybe something with hunter or a shot and it's 172 yards and it's a hanging lie and just you know sort of talk sure. through what you guys are thinking about um, after they hit their tee shots, I think every good caddy immediately goes to that next one. Have an idea where the ball is, have an idea what the yardage is going to be, what the lie is going to be. Um, before the round, you would have known where the pin is. Um, if we get in trouble, um, these are things that caddy's talking, th- thinking about to his head the entire way to the ball. What, what is going to be the key to this shot? If we're in great shape, um, all I'm thinking about at that point is what is the carry number going to be? What is the no wind flat carry number going to be? Cause that's the last thing I'm going to tell them it's playing 183. Um, then when you get to the ball, it's different for different players, but basically you start with a front number 
and then give him the uh, the total number. And then you try and boil down. But the key number here is we need to carry. Okay, you got 172 front and 11, 183. The, the key number here is 176. We have to care, cover that bunker 176 over that. Um, so to try and boil it down to that, you already have an idea of what club you think it is. Um, and you hope that he comes to you. You have to let the player present what he thinks to you first. You can't say, you know, it's just perfect seven iron hit it. Um, he's got to come to you first. And if you agree, which is most of the time, just let him go. You love it. You know, put your best swing of the day on it. Let's go. Um, if you disagree, there's two kinds of disagreements. One, I, well, did you think of this, this shot? That one you're talking about could work. Uh, but I think this one might be a little bit easier and the penalty isn't quite as much. Um, and then there's the other one where you know he's wrong and he, you know, a hundred percent, he's got the wrong club. You got the wrong shot. And then you bring data into it. You just say, uh, you got 172 downhill, a touch. Um, it's going to play 163 with the helping wind. Okay. Eight iron. No. And here's why two holes ago, we hit the exact same direction with a nine iron and you carried it 162. That's perfect right now. So it's all data at that point. If it's a feel, um, a lot of times you just, um, I think Bones is great at this, um, presenting the other option and just saying, I see that shot you're talking about, but what would you think? There's also this available to you. Um, And sometimes they they don't see it and it clicks in. Oh yeah, that is an easier shot. Or if I miss my shot, I'm in deep trouble. If I miss this shot, I'm not. so that's what a lot of it is, um, you know, just going through uh, the situation. And and the great thing about caddies is they can be unemotional about the shots. It's all data. It's all here is what it is. And um, if a player's got a feel, um, you kind of got to let him go. Because, you know, when you play golf, you get a feeling. It doesn't make any sense that I can get this nine iron there, but I know it's a nine iron. So you go with it. And if they have that feel, you got to let them go because ultimately they're they're making the swing. Um, but that's kind of what most of the conversations are about over the ball. Excellent. Andy? You're muted. He hit the mute button. <laughs> My God, at least he's not – at least he's not – Sorry. John, at least at least, at least one time every show he his he he freezes. So I mean, <laughs> at least I, re- I rebooted before the show. So uh, he's uh, back. He's yeah. back. So I I have to stray from the Ryder Cup for one second because I'm dying to hear your opinion on this. So let's go back to the Masters on the 15th hole with Brooks Kepka and Gary Woodland mm. and. You know what we're talking about, but for the listeners, yeah. you know, Brooks hit first, his second shot into 15, and he he flashed a hand signal to uh Woodland's caddy, and then Brooks's caddy flashed a hand signal to, to Woodland's caddy, and then Brooks flashed it to, to Gary Woodland. And you know, there's a lot of talk about well, it's no big deal, it happens all the time, um, you know, because they're signaling to the to the course reporters. Um, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, when they're signaling to the course reporters, that's one thing. If you're purposefully trying to give information to the guy you're playing with, that's another. What's your take on this? Yeah, uh, it was a tough situation. I love Ricky and and I'm I'm good friends with, or not good friends, but I know Brooks well. Uh, it looks suspicious. And, um, you know, when I'm in, I think a lot of guys in those situations um, will do things like I'll clean the club facing you so you can see it. I'm I'm not going to mouth it. I'm not going to flash it to you. If I flash it to a TV reporter and it's obvious there's an on-course reporter there um, and somebody else happens to see it, you know, that that's what happens all the time. And that's fine. Um, but that one was, it was tough. Um, you know, I, I think most guys either let you see it while you're cleaning it or, you know, just put it back in the bag and let you come take a look at it if they want to look. Um, the information is gathered a lot. It's not given a lot like that. And um, that's that was um, a tough one. And at the end of the day, um, it's a it's a it's an honor issue. And you, you have to take if the player and the caddy say one thing. Um, it's hard. to It's hard to say we disagree. Um, and here's your penalty. 
because it's it's a lot of it is I wasn't doing that, and you have to trust the player on it. That's that's what this game is, you know. Even when you're caught red-handed doing it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was a tough one for sure. Okay, so that brings us right to the hot seat. So, <laughs> all right, <laughs> that that was just a warm up for you. Oh I'm man, uh, now I'm on I'm, I'm sudden death playoff now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, um, you know, before we start these questions, uh, for our listeners, John actually played golf at UC Berkeley as well, so he uh, he can golf his ball as well as do all the other things in the sport that that he's done. So. Um, so what's your lowest 18 hole score, John? 66. 66. What are your three favorite golf courses you've played? Oh, wow. What a good question. Olympic club, Riviera. Tell hmm. us you're from California without telling yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, gosh. I have to have played it, right? Yep. Okay. Okay. Um, I, you know, it, it's. I know Pebbles Pebble, but I love Spyglass. I think Spyglass is just one of the best best golf courses in the world. So I, I'll I'll say those three. Okay. Now three that you would love to play that you haven't played: Augusta National, uh, St Andrews Old Course. Um and Shinnecock. I could get you on two of those. <laughs> <laughs> so name the three best players of all time in no order. Tiger Woods, Ben Hogan, Jack Nicholas. All right. What's the best part of your game? I'll tell you the, the honest truth is I have played one round, and that was three weeks ago in the last five years. Wow. I, I have, um, I don't, I get time off. I kind of don't want to be on a golf course, even though it's different when you're playing. Um, I have a lot of other stuff I like to do. And, um, I, I like going out and hitting balls for an hour, chipping and putting and, and then calling it a day. Um, but to go play 18 holes is, um, it's very hard for me right now. <laughs> it's just right. like, there's just a lot of things I like doing. So back when you were playing golf, what was the best part of your game? Um, I was a really good driver. Um, I hit it really long, you know, back in the persimmon and Bellata days. Um, that was probably hitting the driver. What was the worst part of your game? My temper. <laughs> good one. I had a fantastic temper when I played. <laughs> You don't strike me as the temper guy, but you know, only at myself, honestly, yeah. I don't get mad. I'm pretty calm in most situations, but, uh, for some reason, golf, golf got me fired up. <laughs> so what skill in your opinion is most important to playing great golf? Um, not trying to be perfect. You know, it's just, it's, it's the cancer of the game, trying to be perfect. There's so many people you see come and go on tour who you look at the golf swing and go, there is nowhere you would change. He can't hit a bad shot, but he can't play unless he feels like everything is perfect. Um, and that rarely happens, as you guys know. Um, being able to put up a score when you don't have um, your A game is, is the biggest thing you can, you can do. That's a, that's a, that's a long list of names, right? Verplank, Duval, we can keep going. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and frankly, when we do this hot seat, that's, we get some of the best answers to that question because, Not bad. you know, it's very easy for someone to just say, oh, if you're a great putter, then you're going to play good golf. Yeah. We get more introspective answers on that question. And yours was certainly right up there. Um. So PGA tour or live. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an easy PGA tour. Uh, yeah. No brainer. Uh, so who's your favorite golfer past or present? Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan. Yep. Yep. I was a very much Hogan disciple uh, in my playing days. Um, I still think the amount of majors he won for the amount of majors he played is, is right up there with anybody's. Um, and I just love how, he was kind of the first person to dissect the golf swing. And uh, I just, I love that aspect of him. That's probably why I like the range more than playing these days. 
I just want yeah. to th- I just want to throw that out there, John. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, that was a great last question to wrap up the hot seat. So, well, well played. Thanks, and guys. I will, and I will and I will bring it up that we are now on number eighteen, eighteenth hole. Final thoughts, Christian. We shall start with you. We're gonna uh, we're gonna actually save John to the end. I feel honored that I go first. Usually yes. I go last, so I feel honored. <laughs> it's probably because I've been on assignment for the last month and I haven't well, seen you boys in quite yeah. some time. I, I was so. afraid if I didn't throw it over to you that you'd be gone again. You'd leave. Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> work duty calls. I I gotta travel for work, but um, it's been a while since I've said it. But um, you know, continue, guys. Please follow us on uh, on social media: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, you know, we're gonna have amazing guests come on the show, just like John did as well. So, John. For me, thank you very much for coming on. I could listen to you talk all day, and I can, I, I'm sure there'll be a thousand questions that I forgot to ask you, but hopefully we can uh, stay in touch, and uh, maybe we can ask those questions down the road or even have you back on, for that matter. Anytime. Um, I would love that. I appreciate it. And uh, so, yeah, continue to follow us, guys. We have a lot of great stuff coming as well. And, um, you know, hopefully we can get John on an actual golf course that's not work-related. Hopefully we can get a little – you know, mini tournament going on for uh for fun. So that's my final thought. And I'll kick it over to Bird and Bob. All right. Hey John, thanks so much. Uh, uh my final thought actually is gonna kind of quarter sort of tee it up to you with a question. But um my dad was a PGA member, second generation PGA member, been around the game a long time. One of the really truly unique and wonderful aspects about playing golf is with a caddy. And every time a friend, a colleague, a member of the club plays somewhere and they play with the caddy, they go, that's just the greatest thing ever. And it is a shame that the caddy has gone out of the, the day-to-day and the business and part revenue. But anybody listening out there that wherever they are in their stage of life might want to be a caddy and aspire to the PGA Tour, what advice do you have for them? And, you know, that the more and more, yeah, you got to admit, there's some pretty good money out there. But for the love of the game and wanting to caddy, What's your advice for that? Yeah, you you would never these days. Um, you would never be able to come out and start on the PGA Tour unless you're like a college teammate of somebody who got their card or a brother or something like that. Um, find go to the mini tours if you can, you know, afford it. Go to the mini tours, um, Canadian tour, um, obviously, and and find a player you believe in and find find out if he's available and take that ride with him. Um, that's the only way to get to the highest level these days. Like I said, unless you are a college teammate or a brother or, or a cousin or something like that. Um, so if you're really interested, um, you know, college events, um, or amateur events, uh, sit in the parking lot and find a, find a kid you believe in and, and, uh, take the ride. Good advice. Thank you. Sure. Mr. Hydorn. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about the captain praising and bashing um because at the end of the day it's 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 really hard right i mean like when when the picks are made people are willing to to bash the captain 30 days from the event because of the people they picked and at the end of the day it's it's a situation of it's the man in the arena and the man in the arena the gladiator right in the coliseum and that's what these players are going through playing in the Ryder Cup and you know it's so easy for somebody on Monday morning to say well oh my god Bryson or DJ or Tony Finau or Lucas Glover would have been better you know what anybody who wasn't there always would have been better because you didn't have to see him suffer through all the pressure in the dealings of playing under that microscope at the Ryder Cup so you know again being critical of the captains and look i was bitching a little bit when zach kept wanting to play jordan after jordan didn't really want to play or acted like he didn't want to play but again it's it's too difficult to to know which players are going to perform in that arena and you know the europeans in the the home field advantage thing Europeans did a great job. They played well. I looked at the strokes gained stats today. The top four strokes gained people in the Ryder Cup were Euros. 
four of the bottom six were Americans. So it's the players playing good. And all that being said, there was a point coming down the stretch the last day where the Americans had leads in four or five or maybe six matches. And then the last two matches, they needed to flip and they were one down at that point in time. There was an opportunity for them to win the Ryder Cup, albeit a, a small one. But, you know, again, ease up on on the the uh, bashing and the uh, applauding of the captains because they're just there to to do a good job and make it a good experience for their players. And like I said, I'm saving John. And by the way, you're you're dead on, Andy. I'm saving John till he gets to. He was boots on the ground, so he gets to go last. <laughs> um, mine is a three point bullet points, real fast. I've already graduated him to just a one name, Ludwig. He's he that kid is insanely good. I can't wait to watch his progression in in, in golf. Uh, Beth Page will be insane. I can't I can't even imagine what the New York fans are going to do to the European team there. It will be, I can't wait to help the Long Island Expressway and go out there, to be quite honest with you. And John, I will throw it partially over to you by my final thought, which is that golf shot by Rory on Saturday, down on 17 below the hill, to put so much juice on that thing and was, was incredible. I, I thought that was one of the coolest shots of the week. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to second that. I mean, it, I think I said on the air, it wasn't for those that level player. It wasn't a difficult shot for to play it like that with so much style. Um, massive points to Rory. Um, I, well, I, I mean, I, I worked for I worked for early in my career. I worked for a guy who played the PGA Tour back in the 70s. And he was explaining how how he would play shots like that. And the whole time Rory's setting up like that, I'm like, he's going to hit this thing low and just juice the hell out of it and he did <laughs> yeah yeah and, it's insane yeah. insane um that was i agree that was one of the coolest shots of the week especially the situation um all right so final, I'll final go, thought wrap up the Ryder cup for us uh, sir i'm gonna i'm gonna flash forward to, to beth page because i'm worried about that one too um the last couple Ryder, i love partisanship in the Ryder cup it's the one time you play golf you know where you're not loved by everybody and i think that's great i absolutely loved it uh when you quieted down a crowd and you won a match on the road it is thrilling um so i'm not saying I don't want the partisanship. I wish both teams would get together leading into one of these and really make it a point to, to try and get rid of the personal attacks on the course during these events. There's no place for it. It's not necessary. Your team doesn't want you to do that. There's no way Rory was happy that people were, were treating Cantley with that. They don't, they don't want that. They want partisanship. They want cheer for, for even cheer for bad shots. That's fine. But um, I was having this discussion um, with Martin Keimer's caddy on Twitter right after. And I said, the problem I have is those players can't bring their 10 year old kids out to watch them play at a Ryder cup because they're going to be insulted and, and treated obscenely if they're on the road. That's so sad that that's not within reason. The players can handle it, but for the families to hear that stuff, I, I'm just tired of it. And I wish somebody would, would, um, would get together and make it a big talking point leading into, and Beth page would be the perfect one to do it. And secondly, I wish, um, I wish when, when people do say that, say the bad things, because it's 5% of the people at most, I wish other people would point them out and toss them right away. No second chances. No, hey, none of that. You're out. You're gone. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would love to see Ryder Cups get back to um, stay competitive, stay partisan, but but not as personal as they have been the last few last few go rounds. And I agree with that. John, has been before, a hey, before we sign off, I just want to shout out to our friend Mike Padilla for making the connection with John. So absolutely. Thanks, yeah. Mike. And hey thanks, Mike. <laughs> My pleasure, John, guys. Thank John, thank you so much. Andy, Bobby, as always, and Christian, if you ever stop uh working so much and play golf again, hit it long and straight. Because it, it beats Andy hitting that short and crooked. So, ooh. <laughs> Ouch.
you only have one opportunity to sell your golf property. Shouldn't you partner with an expert that offers you 30 plus years of golf industry experience combined with the reach of a global leader in real estate? Collier's International Golf Brokerage and Advisory Services understands your unique business needs. Whether it is brokerage, management, and consulting, be reassured that the market leader in the business of golf is providing you the real answers and practical solutions you deserve. Contact Golf Talk Live co-host and Collier's Golf Advisory Services member, Alan DePew, today at 717-554-8519. That's 717-554-8519.